This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 175 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, um, I want to start off by thanking all of you guys for the feedback on last week's conversation with Tony. You seem to really enjoy some of his stories from his time at Upper Deck, and I know I did too. Um, I'd like to have some more former industry people on the show in the future if possible. They're not always easy to find, but I'll definitely be on the lookout for more. Uh, Enough about last week, though. I've got a number of topics I want to discuss today. Of course, free agency started this week, and that was followed by the start of the summer league, or summer leagues, I should say. There's more than one here. Um, I set up at a card show last weekend, and I want to tell you a little bit about that. And then I'm going to save the mail for today's final segment because I got a couple real nice pieces in, including my best eBay lot find of 2022, um, and really one of my best ever. And I've been very patiently waiting on UPS to drive this thing across the country. It went off the grid for like five days. That was kind of a weird feeling, but it's here now. So I can talk about it, so you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. All right, so let me start off by talking a little bit about the start of the free agency period. And yes, my thoughts are going to be very uh, Pacer-centric. You guys should know that by now. Um, So I'm going to start off by saying, you know, everyone was talking about how Malcolm Brogdon would be gone by draft night and maybe Miles Turner too. Somehow, both guys made it through the evening which made me think, you know, they'll probably be moved at the start of free agency instead. And it looked to me like the Pacers were emerging as a favorite to complete a sign and trade for DeAndre Ayton. There were, you know, only so many teams that could do so. And a lot of the teams that were pursuing him filled that need on draft night instead, uh, albeit for much cheaper. But, you know, things were looking good. Or, you know, I say looking good because I am a fan of Ayton. I've talked about in the past how I wanted to get him for the Pacers. So, um, and then Woj dropped a bomb that Kevin Durant wanted to be traded with his preferred destinations, of course, being either Miami or Phoenix. So that kind of stalled all that for the time being. Uh, meanwhile, the Pacers traded Malcolm Brogdon to the Celtics for a combination of pieces, uh, Neesmith and a first round pick. I try not to react too much on social media, but you know, I saw people saying that Um, And some people on Instagram saying that the Pacers got fleeced. Well, you know, they got a pick, they got a young asset, and they cleared enough room to sign Aiton outright if they needed to. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. I mean, it's not going to 
blow me away, but it's not a bad deal. And you know what? Brogdon might even work out well for the Celtics too. Good. Good for him. Good for them. Uh, In other Pacers moves, TJ Warren signed a deal with the Nets. And I've been a huge TJ Warren fan. Uh, I hate to see him go, but there really wasn't room for him anymore. We'll always have the memories of what he did in the bubble, at least, though. And some of you are still holding those memories. Um, Sorry about your luck. But uh, I'm not going to go over every move here, just the ones that stood out to me. The Jazz and the Timberwolves made a huge trade for Rudy Gobert. Um, that one, I don't, I can't tell you what's going on. So my plan is to have Chad from Pack to the Future podcast on next week. Uh, we'll talk about our trip to Dallas, but then he's going to explain to me what's going on in Utah. And then he's going to tell me what will happen to all those wonderful Mitchell and Gobert cards that he's accumulated. Uh, and for all I know, Mitchell could be a Nick by the time that that actually comes out. So who knows? But anyway, we're all kind of stalled here until the big, Kevin Durant domino falls, which might be a good thing for the hobby. We probably need a little time to breathe. Although, as I'll discuss here in a moment, Summer League will present us with some more buying opportunities as well. It's just nonstop now. So uh, I guess I will. I'll go ahead and move in and talk about Summer League. Um, you know, I want to consume all the basketball content, but I feel like they should space this stuff out a little more. We had the finals, the draft, and now Summer League all in the span of like, a month. And I guess we'll get a break in about a week or so. And and then maybe I can catch some more WNBA. Although I will say every fever game I've watched since coming back from Indiana has been a blowout, but um, I'm recording this early Wednesday. So as of right now, we've only had the California and Utah summer leagues, which consisted of four teams apiece. The Vegas league starts later in the week and it's got everyone. That is the one that I'm excited about. And I know I'm not the only person excited about summer league. I know a lot of you are listening today, you're basketball junkies, uh, and everyone in the hobby seems to act on their excitement in different ways. So with that being said, I want to quickly revisit a couple points I made all the way back in episode 74, which I guess uh, that was almost two years ago, that this was right after the NBA bubble scrimmages that preceded the real NBA bubble action. And while these games didn't count for anything, they still had a purpose. They were supposed to help teams get back in shape after the pandemic had stalled the season. Uh, Those of you that were around, I'm sure you remember, there was one of these games where Bull Bull registered 16 points, 10 rebounds, and 6 blocks, and people went nuts. So much so that his raw silvers were selling for like uh, $150. And I tried to caution people that this reactionary buying was probably not a good idea, and also that it was not normal Uh, And there was some historical precedence for this. And the two examples I gave were from the 2018 Summer League. Uh, The first one was Harry Giles, who, you know, didn't even do that great, but he had missed the entire season before and people were really excited about him. That's fine. Um, And then the second one was Furkan Korkmaz, who had one 40-point game and then his stuff like 5X'd. Now, granted, we're talking raw copies going from like maybe $3 to $15, but the concept is the same. So now that it's time for Summer League again, I just want to take a few minutes to remind you that it's just that. It's Summer League. Um, You know, yeah, Chet Holmgren put up like 18 points in his first half, okay? Um, If you want to be excited about that, if you're a Thunder fan, that's fine, okay? Um, But just everyone, be realistic. And I'm not telling you what to buy. I'm not telling you what not to buy. 
You know, it's okay to buy cards of these players, especially if you're excited about them. In fact, I spent $40 on a Leaf Auto of Fanbo Zhang before he even stepped on the floor for the Pacers. Um, and in years past, I never would have even considered that. Even now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, man, that might have been kind of crazy. But, you know, that's what they're going for. Um, and I'm excited. I've been watching his highlights. You know, the manufacturing landscape has changed. I'm trying new things out. Um, do I think he's going to do much in Summer League? Probably not, but he's got a cool story. Like I said, I've been watching the high school highlights, the G League clips, um, and it's it's just a memento of this these past few weeks for me. So if he amounts to nothing in the basketball world, I can live with that. It's not an investment. Um, but some of you out there are still kind of in that mindset, I'm afraid to say. So just be careful. When a guy drops 25, that doesn't mean he's the next Kobe. And maybe you do want to buy him in a reactionary manner. That's fine. You know, just know that you're going to pay a premium. Um, also, just because your team goes 2-0, that doesn't mean you're going to win a title or even make the playoffs. I'm talking to you, Kings fans. Okay, enough about that. Moving on. Uh, this past weekend, I went to a smaller card show in Seminole, Florida, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Actually, I didn't just go. I set up at it. This is a show I've talked about some on this show before. It's more of a traditional card show. And what I mean by that is, you know, you'll see a lot more guys coming in with their printed checklist or their binders trying to complete their sets. Uh, there's not live breaks. There's not a lot of live streaming. There's no music blasting throughout the room. You're not likely to see as many big dollar deals. But at the same time, you never know exactly what you're going to find because it is still a live card show. Now, I don't have the same access to other shows in the area, um, or some of them want me to commit to multiple days, and I'm just not going to do that. So this is one that I can decide on a month-to-month -month basis if I want to do it or not. So when you put all those factors together, it works great for me. And a lot of you guys have seen my card show hauls or listened to my recaps before, and, and you know it's not uncommon for me to come home with a good mix of stuff. After all, a good day of digging should be rewarded. Well, believe it or not, I bought zero cards at this show, and it wasn't for a lack of trying. I was ready to spend money if there was something there that fit my collection or something that would help me acquire something I want for my collection. There was a dealer that had a card with a document seal used by President Truman. You guys know I like weird little stuff like that or historical stuff, so I was a little tempted by that, but ultimately I decided I didn't need it right now. So I should mention though, I did get a few small cards in other ways. One of my friends that also sets up bought uh, a big lot a few weeks ago that had a 93-94 finest refractor of Rick Smith's. I needed that for my Pacers refractor binder and he was nice enough to gift it to me. Another friend that set up gifted me a little batch of Pacers cards with a numbered run our test I needed, so that was good. And then I traded a low-end Peyton Manning refractor for some cash and a 79 Maravich. And it's not something I was chomping at the bit to trade for, and it had a soft corner, but I didn't have it, and it helped me move the deal forward. So I went ahead and took it, and sometimes you just have to do that, and that's okay. Um, but to sum that part up, I came home with a handful of cards that I paid zero dollars for. And several years ago, that probably would have disappointed me. If you go to a show uh, as a buyer, a seller, or both, it only seems right to bring something home. But now that I've been doing this for a little while now, I try to establish one or two primary goals for each show I attend. Uh, and this is especially important if I'm setting up, which 
like I alluded to earlier, I only do every maybe two to three months now. Um, and my goals are different depending on the show. You just have to have some kind of idea what you're stepping into or what you want to accomplish. For example, uh, I talked about my trip to the Midwest Monster Show a couple weeks ago. That was, you know, a different setting. That was a vacation for me. It was a big show. So my three goals heading into that show were to meet up with people, to find some nice PC cards, um, and just to browse nice cards in general. So I left that show feeling like I had accomplished all three. Now, my goals for this past weekend's shows were different because it wasn't a vacation and it wasn't a big show, so I had to kind of modify them for the setting. Um, I knew it would be a great show to move um, to. I had this uh, like a four-row box and a five-row box that was full of base that I've been lugging around for a really long time. In fact, I even put it on hiatus a little bit during the pandemic because um, it, I was just moving so much stuff that I wasn't worried about base. But this is a good show for that. And additionally, I put a quarter box together this week with all sorts of inserts uh, and cards that have been sitting at the house that I had no use for. So my goal number one for this show, I wanted to move a lot of that bulk stuff. And I was able to do that. Now, granted, I reduced the price significantly, but at the same time, it was stuff that I really didn't have much money invested in. So uh, it was good to get rid of that. Now, additionally, my trip to Dallas will be here before I know it. So for goal number two, I wanted to move some more stuff to generate some funds that will be more useful there. Uh, you know, I wanted some cash, right? And I was able to do that as well. So, um, you know, long story short here, I, I came into today, or I came into this weekend, I should say, with some goals. I was able to accomplish those. I think if you really want to maximize your time and your enjoyment in this hobby, um, especially when you're going to be, you know, going to shows or going to different places or going to card shops, right? There are times where you have to be more intentional. And I think card shows provide a great opportunity to put that into practice. So uh, my hopes are that I was able to articulate that in a way that might benefit you more than your standard card show recap. Hey Kyle, this is Mark and my Instagram handle is MJS underscore sports cards. I wanted to see if I could get help from the Wax Museum Network on a current chase that I am uh, on. I'm currently trying to complete the Drew Holiday Revolution Galactic run. The Galactics are super short print parallels out of Revolution. I already have four of them and only need two more, the 2015-16 and 2020-21. So if anyone in the community has one or a lead on one, please do reach out and uh, let's see if we can work out a deal. Thanks. Okay, so once again, if you didn't catch that, Mark is looking for Drew Holiday Galactics from 2015 and 2020. Now, the fact that he's missing 2015 doesn't surprise me too much for a couple of reasons. Number one, it was the first year of the product and people weren't familiar with it yet. And I guess number two is kind of related to that. But number two, it's the only year where parallels weren't labeled on the back of each card. And every year since then has been. So you probably had some people that pulled those, knew it was some sort of a parallel, but didn't know how rare it really was. And from what I've seen, the print run for most Galactics is somewhere around 15. So anyway, if you happen to come across one of those at a show or on social media, make sure to shoot either Mark or myself a message. Maybe we can help him track those down. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. 
As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. You'd like to help support the show in this way? Go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hustle, grind, spam, profit. We're the Rip Gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to save the mail for today's final segment because it was quite a mail week, and it wasn't a lot of stuff either. It was more quality over quantity. I'm going to start off with the one I purchased with the intention of keeping for my PC, which was one of the more satisfying mail days I've had in a very long time, and that card was a 2000-2001 Topps Chrome Final Piece NBA Finals patch of Rick Smith's number to 25. And this is a set that I've been working on for a while now. Uh, well, mainly the Pacers. It's it's half Pacers, half Lakers. Uh, and yeah, I'll pick up players from either team, but I'm mainly working on the Pacers. There are 12 total Pacers, and this Rick Smith's card makes number 9 for me. So I'm only missing Austin Crozier, Jalen Rose, and Derek McKee now. What I really like about this mail day is that it fits in two major categories of my collecting pyramid. It's a nice rare Pacers patch, and then it's also a rare NBA Finals piece. Um, A couple of additional factoids about this particular card. This is, I love getting in the weeds about the cards that I'm purchasing and pursuing, uh, so just bear with me. But um, I purchased it from a local seller on eBay, and several weeks prior, I bought a big lot of lower-end cards from him at a local show, and I think I even mentioned it on this uh, on the show here. I put up a 20-minute video on my YouTube channel of me going through all that stuff. There was some really good stuff in there, um, and, and a lot of the stuff in that whole collection, I guess, they sold off pretty cheap because there was over a million cards, and they didn't want to sort through them all and list everything, which makes sense. I understand that. Well, I'm assuming the Smiths made the cut then because it never made it to the show and it ended up getting listed online instead. And they probably chose well. I probably would have got it for half the cost at the local show, uh, but that's all right. It is what it is. I can only imagine how it would have felt to find that one in person, though. Um, One more piece of info about this Smiths card. It's numbered to 25, but I'm fairly certain there are no more than 24 copies now. And yes, I've heard people make this argument with cards before, and I usually cringe. I really don't like when people do this, so I guess I should preface this by saying that. But they'll take a rare card, and they'll try and make it even more rare by saying, well, you know, surely some of these have disappeared, but we really don't know. Um, But with this particular Smith's card, I I actually do kind of know, or at least I had a lead on the information, Uh, And I had a lead on one of the copies. This was probably, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago. A close collector friend, and it's actually someone that's been on this show. He told me that he had a friend who had pulled a copy of this Smith's card many years ago. And that friend had fallen out of collecting, but they likely still had the card. So he reached out and and tried to talk to this guy to see, you know, what was up. Um, I tried not to get my hopes up, but you know how it is when you get a lead on a tough card. Well, it turns out that the guy did have it at one point, but there was a major fire at his house and his collection burned up. So most likely that included this copy of the Smith's patch. And obviously, you know, 
I don't have the charred pieces to prove that or anything. But, um, you know, that was kind of the end of that lead. That was where it all fell off. In fact, I had forgotten about it until I received this card and started piecing together my thoughts on it. But uh, anyway, I've got my copy now. You know, whether there's 24, whether there's 25, I've got mine. Um, I've got my copy thanks to someone moving a large collection and thanks to eBay. And I am one large step closer to finishing out this set. Now, normally... Uh, that would have been, you know, that was a big enough mail day for me that that would be like the main event on any mail day segment. I'm really excited about that one. I still am. Um, but this second mail day is um, pretty insane. I posted about it a couple times this week already on Instagram or YouTube uh, because it, it was hard not to talk about it ahead of time. But um, I want to give you all the details here and tell you a little bit about how I found it. Uh, before I even get to what was on the inside. So just know, though, that this was a major, major eBay lot find, as you can see in the title. So the number one question I get every time um, I, I show off a lot is this. Well, what search terms did you use? You know, people say, I'd love to find this kind of stuff on my own. Like, I'm just going to give them the, you know, the all these wonderful secrets away. Although, honestly, there's not many secrets. And I'll explain that more in a moment here. But um, the other thing that people will say is, oh man, you know, I never find anything good, to which I'll usually respond, well, when was the last time you really looked? You know, you have to be looking for stuff to find it. Um, now, the number one mistake people make when they're looking for lots is trying to be too specific because they want to unlock the perfect search terms that will pull up, I don't know, 25 or so results that they can whittle down to one or two and then they can come away with their buried treasure or their hidden treasure uh, and everything's happily ever after. But that's not how it works. In fact, my experience is that you have to be um, or you want to be super generic with your search. And yeah, maybe you can tell eBay to exclude a few terms, but you have to be super generic. And then you just have to go through a lot of listings. I'm talking thousands of listings. You might scroll through five or 10,000 listings and never find anything that's all that good. Or maybe you're just finding things that are, you know, at market price or or marginally lower. Uh, but it's just like anything else. The more reps you get in, the more you learn how to speed up the process. So, you know, the first time you try and cover a thousand listings, it's going to take you a while. The fourth and fifth time you do that, you might see some repeat listings that you've already clicked on. You might see some, you know, some things that you know are sure signs that it's um, not a good lot. You know, you'll you'll kind of figure those things out as you go. So the more reps, the better. Um, now, also, you keep in mind that all of this is still contingent on these cards being listed somehow. So you can't find something if it's not there. Now, my thinking is there are plenty of treasures still out there, uh, and some are larger than others. And I just so happened to find a very large one a couple weeks ago. And it had a very generic title like basketball cards or sports cards. And the prize card of the lot, the main one, was kind of off to the side. But it certainly stood out because it's got, as you'll see later, it's got a surface that um, is, is distinctly different from most other cards. So I could tell when I'm looking at this lot that this was not a card seller. because Just because the way they described the cards, the way that they wrote up the description... Uh, their selling history didn't have, a, you know, any basketball stuff. All of the cards were from the same era. Um, the cards were still in these snap cases or snap tight cases. So, 
you know, that made me feel like, hey, this thing's probably legit. And then also the fact that they're in snap tight cases told me that um, they could probably survive any sort of unorthodox shipping situation, which is almost guaranteed to be the case when you're buying lots. So anyway, I was waiting for the time to pass as this listing was posted and hoping that no one else would find it. And eventually I won it for like $54 shipped. I don't think anyone else ever saw it. So the next step then was to wait for the tracking number to be uploaded, which you guys know, even if you've, you know, any steal you've gotten or any card you've gotten for a good price, it's always a little nerve wracking when you're waiting for that shipping notification. Well, for this lot, it took two days. And when it finally did get uploaded, it was just a UPS number, uh, really just a shipping label, label created. So I thought, okay, you know, sounds a little more promising, but I, I, I don't think it's actually shipped yet. Um, but it was moving. The process was moving. So then um, everything went dark for about five days, and then it received an origin scan, which left me wondering, you know, is this on UPS's end? Is this on the seller's end? I didn't send the sellers any, I didn't send the seller any questions about shipping because I just wanted to let it ride. I didn't want to be pushy. And this thing was moving at a snail's pace. Um, I wanted to show it to people. You know, I showed it to a couple hobby friends, but that was it. I didn't want to jinx anything. So, um, you know, there's another update. Shipping went dark for another three or four days. And then finally, this thing showed up at my door on Tuesday in a large bubble mailer. And I could just feel the snap cases sliding around on the inside. As I alluded to earlier, normal normally people would hate to see cards shipped in snap cases or, or snap tights, as some people call them. But in this instance, I think it actually protected this lot from anything crazy that might have happened. So I ripped this thing open and I'm going through it and, and just know I recorded this. It's on my YouTube. You can go watch it if you haven't done so already. So I'm going through this stack here. The first card that comes out is a 98.99 Skybox Thunder Flight School insert of Michael Jordan. Really cool card that kind of has like, I don't know, eyepieces on the front that have magnification that the card unfolds kind of like an accordion. I don't know how to explain it. It's crazy. And I figure some of the MJ people are going to kill me here. But this is a 90s set that I didn't know anything about. And even, you know, if you watched the video, you saw that I kind of no-sold it because I thought it was like a $15 or $20 card. I didn't know. Well, apparently it's a $200 card. So that was a great start. And I keep going through this stack here. And there's a Shaq Rejectors insert from Hoops, numbered to 2,500. There's a Kobe rookie. There's a few Jordans, numbered to 2,300. There's a Cosigners dual auto of Antoine Walker and Gary Payton. And this is already just an amazing lot. Um, I'll probably keep the Cosigners. I really like that card. The other stuff becomes inventory for me or, or will probably end up on my Com C. And before I tell you about the monster card in the lot, I do want to take a moment to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by Check Out My Cards. ComC.com is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale in the ComC marketplace which I did with some Joey Chestnut, Allen and Ginter cards this week, by the way, flipped them for a small margin. 
Um, for more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckoutMyCards. Okay, so like I said, just a really good lot so far. We had all those inserts, all those numbered cards, and then out popped the big one. The card that originally caught my eye in the listing. It was a 1998-99 Skybox Premium Star Rubies of Hall of Famer Gary Payton. And for anyone that's seen one of these in person before, you know that I really don't have to sell you on this card. That's not what I'm trying to do when I'm talking about it today anyway, but these are stunning. I've owned Star Rubies from all different years, but the 98 iteration takes the cake. Uh, I think the market reflects that, so I think collectors, the true collectors out there agree. So, um, you know, you if you follow my social media, you've seen it. I posted it. A number of you responded, and I appreciate that. Um, I'm still kind of riding this high of the excitement. And a lot of people have asked me, what are you going to do with it? Which, you know, is a good question. Um, this copy looks pretty good. I think it grades no lower than an 8 and possibly even a 9, which would be huge. Um, a raw copy of Jason Kidd sold in the last week for over 1800 And even though I haven't asked for offers, I've already had a couple of offers that surpass that by quite a bit. Um, so I, I think it's safe to say it will get moved. This is not a PC card. It's not somebody that, you know, maybe if it was a Reggie Miller, I'd keep it. But otherwise, you know, this is not something that I am overly attached to. So the question, you know, yes, it'll move, but how? Um, I am going to the Dallas show soon, so it might be a good idea to take it there. Um, but I've already got my enjoyment out of it, so I don't feel the need to keep it. So that's kind of a good spot to be in. It's going to allow me at some point to level up my PC, um, to have the excitement of finding something, uh, to rescue a card, and then to hopefully you know, get this card to somebody that will also appreciate it. So I, I think there's a lot of good things that will come from this. Um, and it's got me thinking. One of my goals this year was to get a Bill Russell rookie for my PC. There was a point where that seemed realistic, and then another point where it didn't. Uh, you you know, you've heard me talk about it on the show. There will be times where I say, well, I think I'm just going to put that on the back burner for right now. Well, guess what? This find has re-energized my quest because moving this card would make up a big portion of that Russell. And that's something that I, that I would be way more satisfied with in my PC. So I'm not actively shopping the Peyton right now, but for the people you know that have approached me, I've just said, hey, look, I've got a 57 Russell on the mind. Let's see if you can help me get there in some capacity, whether it's, whether it is money, whether it is, you know, you find the card and connect me, whatever. Let's see if we can get there. And I only told that to a few people and it wasn't long before I discovered some of these high-end collectors do not mess around. They make things happen. And I'm pretty excited to see where things go from here. All right. Well, there you have it. Those of you that have followed along on my YouTube channel, I try to show the majority of the lots I purchase, both good and bad. You've been there for all of them. So hopefully you enjoyed this major success. Um, I want you to feel good about it too. It's been a crazy week for me and, and one that I've been really excited to share with you. I don't know if this is my best find ever, but it's definitely top three. And I, I've got a top eBay lots episode on the back burner. Maybe I'll finish that up sometime. And then it might even be fun to have you guys decide on them and rank them. Until then, feel free to let me know on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter. 
under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.